I know the last month has been pretty challenging physically for a lot of you, dealing with all kinds of issues. And we have people at home today and have been in and out of uh, the doctor's office, etc. And um, it's one of those seasons that um, are, are difficult. And so uh, stay well and, and keep praying. God is a, the God of, uh, that heals us. So um, anyway, and I'm glad to see Ken and Winnie are here today. Ken and Winnie, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, they drive all the way from, where do you live now? Anyway, never mind. <laughs> they, yeah, Wausau. Wausau. It's that, that's that bread we eat, Wausau. <laughs> anyway. There was once a little boy who loved to ask, why? He liked to ask why. And he asked his father, why does the sun shine only in the daytime? And his father answered, I don't know, son. And he says, why do the stars only shine at night? He said, I don't know, son. He asked, why do some people drive fast and some people drive slow? said, I don't know, son. Why does water make us wet? I don't know, son. Why, why do people get married? said, I don't know, son. Then he stopped and looked at his dad and said, do you ever get tired of me asking why? The father said, oh, no, son. How do you expect to ever learn anything if you never ask why? <laughs> do you ever ask why? I'm a practical person, and I always have to ask why. What's the purpose? What's the reason? Why do 22 grown men dressed in combat gear run all over a field chasing an underinflated pigskin, bashing each other's heads in? I don't know. Why do 30 million adults Watch them every week on television. Well, as we begin our series in the book of Acts, entitled All In, I want to begin by asking, why? Why? Why was Acts written? What was the purpose of this book? What is the purpose of this book? And when we know the why, then we can see in a very practical way that it's very relevant to the church today, corporately, and individually, each one of us. The book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was the author also of Luke, his namesake. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And I want us to look at the first sections, it's the very first paragraph of Luke, and then the very first paragraph of Acts, and find out what we can learn from the author. Why did he write Luke, and why did he write Acts? Luke 1, 1 to 4, reads this. I think we have it up. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, <coughs> excuse me, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke was writing something to a guy named Theophilus. That remains that we don't know who that was. Mystery. Then we get to Acts, the first part of Acts. Luke also, as the author, says this. In my former book, Theophilus, there's Theophilus again, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Can I get some water, please? See, it's right, it's right here. That's okay. <clears throat> In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. We looked at those instructions last Sunday in Matthew 28. After suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates of Father is sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke wrote the book of Luke, which we studied a large portion of last year in The Chosen, the story of Jesus. Then he wrote a consecutive orderly account in order that Theophilus might know the certainty about the things he had been taught. And so Luke wrote the book of Acts. This was the second account written by Luke. And I want to ask the question, why why was, Luke, why was Acts written? To understand that question, why was Acts written, we have to go back to the Old Testament and ask, why was the Old Testament written? Why was the Old Testament written? The Old Testament is Genesis through Malachi. And it was, <coughs> excuse me, it was written to record God's interaction with his people. It was a record of God interacting with his chosen people, Genesis through Malachi. It was the Old Testament. It was God's love and search for people. And it was done through the nation of Israel. The agency of God's moving was Israel. It was Israel. Then we get to the New Testament, which are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The New Testament records the continuation of God's love and search for people. God wanting to reestablish a relationship with people who had been isolated from him. God is always the searching God seeking to reestablish relationship with people. And the New Testament was that. 
And of course, the person, the agency of that, was Jesus. The person and works of Jesus. We just celebrated the birth of Jesus, talked about God with us. This is God coming in human form and in the person of Jesus, demonstrating who God is and what he had done. This is called salvation history. Salvation history. It's about God restoring a broken relationship with people. A seeking, loving God taking the initiative to seek us out to come and find us. So Jesus said, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. The lost. That was human beings. And as we read about this passage today, Jesus is leaving the earth. He's leaving the earth so his mission of searching for and finding lost people and restoring that broken relationship between God and people now passes on to someone else, the followers of Jesus. Okay, The followers of Jesus. Acts, the book of Acts, is God's love and search for people. The agency is the church, the body of Christ. That's you and me. All people who follow Jesus Christ. The book of Acts tells us how it all started. And if we understand, we sit here today as a continuation of of a heritage and history which began at the time of creation through time and space documented in the Old Testament, through the life of Jesus, to the birth and founding of the church. And here we are, some 2,000 years left, after the birth of the church, sitting here. It's part of creation and, and restoring relationship from God to his people. You are part of that heritage. It's a critical thing that we understand we're not just a random group of people that decided someday to meet in Eau Claire for church on a Sunday morning. We are a continuation of something that began at creation and continues to today. It's critical we understand that continuity and the importance of where you sit. What Jesus did through his physical body on earth He he proclaimed truth, he taught, he loved people, he prayed for them, he healed them, he ministered life and brought forgiveness and restoration. Now he carries, that was his physical body. His physical body went, went up to heaven. And now he carries this on through a different body. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the church here on earth. That's you. That's you. And, and, and the physical limitations that Jesus chose. He was in one body. He was one person. He was in one location at a time. Those are gone. But today, instead of one body, one person, as he chose to limit himself, it's called the, the self-limitation of his character, you find in Philippians. Now he carries this on through a different body, And there are millions of us in that body. Millions of us. Millions of us. The church to carry out his mission in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He multiplied it. You are part of that. You are part of that. You're not here by accident or random chance. 
you are part. If you believe in Jesus Christ to follow him, you are part of the millions of people that are carrying out the mission of helping people be restored in relationship to God. Do you feel important? I hope you feel important this morning because you are important. You're part of that. Now, Acts tells us how it all started. Okay, that's why Acts was written. That's why Acts was written. Tell us how it started. Now, we're going we're to do a little bit of background after this. We're, what is in the book of Acts? Before we get into the book of Acts, what is in the book? What, what are the contents of Acts? Acts is, first of all, it's, it, it contains history. Today's history. It's not a historical in the strict sense of a, an exhaustive chronological account of everything that took place. I mean, when they talked about the Gospels, the four Gospels, they said that even the world couldn't contain everything that Jesus did. If, you, if the world was going to contain books describing what Jesus did, the world couldn't contain it. So we can't put everything that happened in Acts. It's a selective chronological account that that were of, of events that were most important. Acts was to show the life and mission of Jesus Christ carried out by his followers. It's not exhaustive. It's selective. Okay? There are two main locations in Acts. There's Jerusalem and Antioch. Now, there are a lot of other cities and regions, but those are the two main locations. The two main characters are Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul... There are several great sermons or speeches, but it's about the spread of the good news about Jesus. The Messiah, the promised one, has come. When we look back at the book of Acts the very, from the very beginning of the day of Pentecost, we're going to look at that next Sunday. The Messiah, the promised one, has come. He lived. He died for our sins. He was resurrected, which is the huge theme in the book of Acts. He was resurrected and he lives. And it always called for a response. Believe in him and receive salvation. That was the message. Believe in Jesus and receive salvation. There were two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, which there are today. We may have some people of Jewish heritage here today. Most of us are probably Gentiles because we're Norwegian or German or whatever, you know. I'm of Norwegian heritage, so I'm a Gentile. Okay? This is about Jews and Gentiles. And among the Jews in this day and Acts, some received the message, but obstinately, most of them rejected it. The Gentiles, many of the Gentiles, received it, embraced it. There were two responses, and we always find two responses. This message of restoration of Jesus telling us that God wants to relate to us. There are always two responses. There's rejection, which is unbelief, and there's acceptance or belief. Rejection or acceptance. Understanding the book of Acts is important to understand that under Roman law, the Romans were in charge during this time in history. Under Roman law, the Jews were allowed to propagate their religion. So for the most part, the Romans had no problem with with Christianity or the people spreading this gospel of Jesus Christ. The persecution, they, they just saw Christianity as part of, of, of Jewish religion. Persecution came from the Jews who initially imprisoned, beat, stoned, and killed Christians. And we're going to read about that and see the persecution of Christians. 
Letter F, Acts was a reality show. The reality show. I'm not talking about entertainment. We're talking about actual reality. Luke will find, Luke tells it as it is. He didn't idealize, romanticize, gloss over, or whitewash anything in the story. He told the good, the bad, and the ugly. He, you will find, and he gave us reports of, of bold witnessing, supernatural healings, people highly committed to Jesus, and unselfish concern for their fellow man. But he also tells stories of human frailty. He talks about failure. He talks about divisiveness and conflict and competition. All kinds of things. It's a reality. He tells it like it is. And finally, letter G, the Holy Spirit is the main character. The Holy Spirit is the main character. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of the living God. We don't have time to unpack the Trinity. That's a whole other thing that nobody can do, but we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was who came from God after Jesus descended into heaven and was glorified. Acts emphasizes the crucial importance of the Holy Spirit. Talks about the before and the after. Life without the indwelling power of the Spirit of God and life with the indwelling, empowering Spirit of God. When God comes into our lives, we open up our lives and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, the, the results are going to be dramatic. They're going to be change. When God comes into our lives, it will be dramatic. There's going to be change. There's transformation. And the key to the success of our mission, and we talked about our mission last Sunday, to make Disciples, the key to the success of that is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God that has chosen to reside and live inside human hearts. That's what it's about. So what, are the, what were the first events that happened that we read about today? What were the first events? First one was um, a question, verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Understand these disciples, these followers of Jesus had left everything. They had left everything to follow Jesus. They thought he was going to take over as a political ruler of Israel and restore the nation to its historical prominence. They wanted to be part of this new kingdom and wanted to know the future. Well, in America today, if you help with a political campaign and your candidate gets elected, you many times expect something in return for your efforts. Okay? You're going to get something, aren't you? The governor gets elected and finds you a position in his new cabinet. The president you worked for and campaigned for gives you an ambassadorship to some exotic nation. You worked and so you get rewarded, right? Well, the disciples kind of thought that too. They thought they deserved something now. And they asked, tell me about the future. What role is my life going to play now? What's in it for me now? I followed you, Jesus, all this time. What, what do I get? What do I get? They were curious about the future. Now, we are all very curious about the future. We want to know the future. What are we going to experience we, we have especially a lot of anxiety and angst about the future of our country. Right now, 
right now. There is so much turmoil. There's so much happening right now. And we want to know what's going to happen. Well, we, we don't get to know. Sorry. We don't get to know yet. Yet. How is our country affected? How is it going to affect me? See, we think that if we know the future, it will help us with our insecurities and we'll have peace. Curious minds want to know, right? We want security. We want hope in the future. In our individual lives, we want to know our future. Many experience anxiety from not knowing the future. We want to know how our lives are going to work out, what's going to happen. We don't always get to know. We experience insecurity from uncertainty. You're not alone. Jesus' followers wanted to know the future. Understand, they had been through an incredibly traumatic time where Jesus had been beaten, tried, crucified, and all of a sudden their whole world, they had put their hope in, just disappeared. And then he comes back and they say, wow, I'm glad we got through that. Now, what's, what's next? What's next? They're hoping for this great future. And Jesus answers in verse 7. He answers in verse 7. It's not for you to know the future. It's not your responsibility. It's not your concern. He said the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority. That's not what they wanted to hear. They, they were ready for something tangible, and he didn't give it. He said, God sets the times. Times have the, the word chronos. It's a space of time, duration of time or season. It says God sets the dates. Event-oriented time and events. Both seasons, space of time and events are under God's control. And he says, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know. <laughs> if you go to God and you want to know the future, are you going to be happy with that? Probably not. He said, it's not for you to know. He said, Jesus says to them, it says to us, let it go. It's not your concern. God's in control. God's got it. I'm not saying we shouldn't stay informed. We shouldn't have opinions about what's happening. But God has called us to trust him, not to worry. If God calls you to get engaged in some way, whether it's online media, if it's on, on activism, whatever that is, engaging in something, by all means, do it. But don't try like Atlas to carry the world on your shoulders. I, I never forget a commercial. There was a commercial that showed, it was a, it was a pickup truck commercial, showed Atlas carrying the world on his shoulders. And of course he came and into the picture, a pickup truck came and he put the world in the back of the pickup and off the pickup went. Fine, the, the, they're, yeah. It was a great picture of how that pickup's going to carry the world now. Yeah. We try to carry the world on our shoulders. Well, just unload it. Um, let God carry it. He can do that. So, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Verse 4, this is what he said. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. 
for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. So what, what's their job? Wait. <laughs> wait. Are you serious? I've got to wait? He says, you have to wait because I've got a gift I, I'm going to give you. Now, a gift cannot be earned. It can only be received. Only be received. If we did earn a gift, we would not have to wait. Gifts are initiated by the giver. We must wait until the giver decides to give the gift. Wait. He said to the disciples there, they were ready, chomping at the bit to do something. And he said, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. Wait for what? The promise. Then he says this. Letter D, the promise. John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, when he said that, we have, we're on this side of history. We have no clue how incredible that promise was. All throughout history, God limited his spirit's power to just a few, select few. God's Holy Spirit was not available to just anybody. He, he gave his spirit to people like Samson and King Saul and King David, uh, prophets and Isaiah and Jeremiah, John the Baptist and Elijah and Elisha. And so up to this point in time, it said his spirit had not been poured out to all people. But there was a promise in Joel that talked about it. Joel 2, 28 says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. See, see, people back then were unable to keep the demands of the God of the universe. They were powerless. And in Jeremiah, he said, I will write my law on your heart. This is the new dispensation. This is moving from trying to be righteous, follow the law, follow God in our own strength to be changed and actually being indwelt by God himself. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside. God taking up residence in humans. Hadn't happened yet. See, we take it for granted because we've been living for the last 2,000 years with this Holy Spirit power many times unaware of what we have. This moves us from trying to keep the law in our own strength to being changed indwelt by God himself. This is internal power. God himself dwells in you. We are not gods, but God has chosen to live in human beings. Remarkable. That's in there? Yeah, it is. It is. Many of you have experienced that transformation. The Holy Spirit. And then he says the prediction in verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. He says when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be so transformed, so changed, that you will spontaneously tell others what happened to you. A witness is defined as someone who has experienced something personally. I know by my experience I have been changed. These followers of Jesus had been witnesses of the new 
resurrected Jesus. In addition to that, they were going to be so transformed by the Holy Spirit, so changed that they will be witnesses to God's work in their own lives. And being witnesses, they are called to be witnesses in ever-enlarging concentric circles. We think about that. Be a witness to your immediate family, your extended family, friends and acquaintances, people I work with, and on and on. Eau Claire, Chippewa Falls, Chippewa Valley, Chippewa County, Eau Claire County, Wisconsin, USA, the world. The concentric circles, he said, this is what you're going to be witnesses to. And what makes it possible? The power, verse 8. The Holy Spirit power. Think about nuclear power for a moment. Atomic power. Atomic power and nuclear power didn't just come into existence. It's always been in existence. It's only recently, since about the 1940s probably, that we discovered how to tap into nuclear power or nuclear energy. The power of the Holy Spirit has always existed. But until the birth of the church in Acts, only a few had tapped that power. Do you need power? You need power? I do. I need power. I need power for circumstances, for life, for change. And there's so much of this power we have not experienced because we haven't tapped into it. We've seen news reports of rockets being tested and they're out of control. They spin it. There's power but no control. They spin and explode. Power with no purpose. The power we have with the Holy Spirit is power with a purpose. It's God's love and search for people so they too can be changed by God's love. The mission, God's searching mission in Genesis, all through the New Testament into Acts, all through history to today, which we are a part of. God's power to transform lives. Next Sunday, we're going to take a closer look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And I hope we can answer more questions of why. Why? Why? Why was Acts written? To tell us how it started. Tell us where we're going. And I just pray that as we go through this, that we would be empowered with a new sense of vision and awareness of the power we have been endued with. Because the Holy Spirit comes on us to bring power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us power, power for living, power for transformation, power for all kinds of things. And I pray, Jesus, that you would give us a new vision moving forward as to the power that you've given us and that we would live within the context of that power, 
not for selfish gain or selfish benefit, but so we can be a demonstration of the power of Jesus to transform lives because we've been changed. In Jesus' name.